podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, soon to be 12, then 14, or 14, then 12. I, You know what? I, yes, correct. Close enough. Who cares? There's going to be more teams here than there are now, eventually. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're talking baseball and softball today. That's primarily what we're going to talk about. I debated heavily having a conversation about the lack of playoff expansion. I've decided I, I really don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I, I, I could spend 20 minutes ranting, and I'm not sure that's really good for my health at this particular moment. So we're just going to skip that. Cop out, whatever. I don't care. We're not going to do it. Um, we're going to have more football talk coming soon. I've got a few topics that I'm working on. Uh, obviously, basketball is going on right now. I would suggest that you listen to the Midwest Madness Show with Christine Butterfield, who does a fantastic job there. I believe she's going to have a great guest as we near closer and closer to the end of the regular season. Teams on the bubble really trying to grab some wins uh, at this particular time. Hold on. Uh, let's see. This will adjust for me. Ooh, ooh. TCU had a nice halftime lead. I don't think they're going to be able to keep that against Texas. Uh, meanwhile, West Virginia, this is being slow. I'll come back to it. West Virginia was leading Iowa State. Let's see if that's happening. That's more a problem for Iowa State than West Virginia. Anyways, uh, like I said, baseball and softball, uh, one half of the Funky Frog podcast, Melissa Trebois are going to be joining us in a bit to talk TCU baseball and a couple other questions with her. But before we get to that, it's time for some softball talk, and that means that we are bringing back Melina Sanchez. Melina, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. Really appreciate it. I mean, yeah, thank you for joining us. I'm excited to talk some softball here. Um, let's say with uh, right off the top, we had a very exciting weekend down in Clearwater, the St. Pete Clearwater Invitational. We've got a big one coming up this weekend with the Mary Nutter Classic, two massive softball events. Uh, so let's let's kick things off there. Let's look at what happened last week and, and what kind of takeaways can we get from that. And the, the, the two that are most important to me or what we saw from Oklahoma State and Texas, two Big 12 teams. Texas Tech was also at Clearwater. They did not get a win. Um, Texas Tech still trying to get things figured out under second-year head coach there. But OSU and Texas, OSU preseason like 2-3-4, depending upon your poll. Texas a preseason top 10. Texas is pretty much out of the rankings now. OSU's down to like the 15-16. Both struggled in Florida this past weekend. Uh Melina, I know Texas is the team that's near and dear to your heart. So, so kind of walk me through, like, what are you seeing from Texas? What, what is happening with the Longhorns? Was it just a tough time with a loaded field where you're just playing so many great teams that it just, it just kind of happens? Or is this a, a sign of, of some real concern for the Longhorns? I think after this weekend, there there is some real concern for the Longhorns. After watching their games this past weekend, I saw, you know, they just looked unmotivated. Um, They didn't really look ready to play. They went through a lot of pitchers and a lot of pitching changes um, this past weekend in Clearwater. They started off their game with Florida State, went with O'Leary, then went with Hulan, and then then to Chad, gave up eight earned runs that game. Next game, they played Auburn. Dulcini went 5.1 innings. Then Simpson came in for 1.2, gave up four earned runs. And they actually did pretty good against UCLA. You know, the freshman Sophia Simpson, I thought she did a phenomenal job. 
um, against UCLA. Um, top loss for Texas, only giving up two earned runs in that one. Then we get to UCF. UCF was a complete disaster going through Dulcini, Czech, O'Leary, Simpson, and Hulan in that game, giving up 11 earned runs. And I, if I'm not mistaken, they had seven airs that game. Um, and then against Notre Dame, you know, again, check, 6.1 innings, and they went to Dulcini, and they went to Hulan, and they went to O'Leary, and then they went back to check, giving up nine earned runs in that game. In the Clearwater tournament, they gave up 34 earned runs. It's about 6.8 um, runs a game. Company that with 12 airs. Um, on the year, they have 21 airs. That puts them last in fielding in the Big 12. They're last in pitching with a 3.93 ERA, 41 earned runs on the year. And they're second to last in hitting, only hitting 258 with 42 strikeouts. So there's a lot of concerns, a lot of things that need to be cleaned up for Texas moving forward. It doesn't sound like it's one thing in particular. It just seems like Texas has not come together or gelled quite yet, which is, I mean, this is usually a good squad. Um, and I, and I, before we get to Oklahoma State, which I think there's some some similarities between like just uncharacteristic multiple issues going on. I mean, what do you think is the key issue for Texas or, or the thing that they can fix that might might get them back on the right direction? Um, I just hope that Janae Jefferson and Mary Icopo can offer some leadership because they do have a lot of young players on that team. Uh, Mia Scott, you know, their third baseman, she is tremendous. She stood out for me, has stood out for me um, this entire year doing a tremendous job at third base and really showing some maturity in the box. So like I said, I hope Janae and Mary, you know, can, can pull the team together and show some leadership and get this team right back on track. You know, it, similar situation from Oklahoma State. They had a rough weekend down there in Clearwater. Uh, I mean, I, I had high expectations for them. Um, games against Michigan, LSU, South Florida, Washington, and Northwestern. I figured they might drop one, maybe two, but to come away two and three out of that weekend and, and just get blasted by LSU, blasted by a, a not very good South Florida team. And Washington was a back and forth struggle. Washington's pretty good. Struggle, but get a win against Northwestern. Like it, after that, you know, they open with a 4 0 win over Michigan. Kelly Maxwell continues to just be an absolute stud for them um, as their best pitcher. And then after that, look, Miranda Elish, she took the year off before she transferred in, and, and it has taken her a while to get going. If you're an Oklahoma State fan, you're really hoping that what you saw in the last six innings against Northwestern, where she pitched a fantastic game after giving up three in the first inning, that that is a sign of things to come for her because Oklahoma State needs her to get things turned around. I mean, this is a team that, that last year, I mean, their three-deep pitching rotation was was fantastic. Kerry Eberly was one of the best pitchers in the country. Maxwell was a fantastic backup. And then and then you got Logan Simonek as your third uh, pitcher and she was she was really good when she had a 2.83 era like she was great one two three you had a fantastic one two three there you come into this year and and maxwell is pitching even better she looks better than last year and i mean when she's pitching and you can tell the difference when you watch a few games between her and and elish who has struggled more than i thought we that she would out of the gate and then and your number three option in Morgan Day, who transferred over from Illinois State, she has struggled as well. And it's just for a pitching rotation that Gajewski said was the deepest he thought he'd had at the, before the season started. Oh, you combine that with the fact that OSU is just not hitting the ball well. I think you said before we started, they lead the Big 12 in strikeouts, right? Correct. They do. Uh, they're fifth in hitting 
have uh, 10 home runs in the year, 2.75 average, and they lead the league in strikeouts right now. I mean, they, they were averaging 1.55 home runs a game last year. They're at one a game this year. I mean, it's a combination of things. And I, I, I just, I'm, I'm really curious. I mean, they look really good in one game. Again, they looked great against Michigan to open the Clearwater. Like you, you thought it was a really good sign of things to come. They look great in their season, in their series opener at Arizona State. And then game two is bad. Like basically when Maximo comes out to open, she does a great job. But then the, the pitching and the lack of offense is just, it's, it's a problem right now. And, and I don't, when you have all these different things, is it expectations? Is it transfers? Because look, the thing about the transfer portal to me, like it can be really beneficial, right? It could be great to bring in somebody who has experience, someone who knows what they're doing, kind of the idea is to just kind of fill holes. But eventually, if you rely on the transfer portal as much as it's Kenny Gajewski does, and I think Texas is this year, like sometimes it can come back and bite you, right? Like if you're having to rely on bringing people in to do a lot of the work for you, most of the time it's going to work out, and it has for both programs. This year, you kind of have to wonder if this was just just one of those years where the, the transfer portal is kind of not working out for them as well as they thought. Yeah, team chemistry is a really big deal. And, you know, growing up playing softball, I've been on both ends, having a really talented team, but we didn't gel very well, and then having a not-so-talented team that did gel really well. We were more successful on the not-so-good team that did gel really well. So team chemistry is a big thing. Um, that, that could be part of the problem, but, you know, going back to their, to their pitching, Kelly Maxwell is doing phenomenal. She's got a 0.61 ERA. She's three, and oh, she's only given up, given up two earned runs. So she's really carrying the load. And I think if, uh, Oklahoma state wants to be successful, she's going to have to carry most of that load. I mean, Miranda Elledge giving, has given up 14 earned runs and Morgan day, 13 earned runs, not such good ERAs, Elledge 4.14, Morgan day, 6.83. So, you know, that's really hurting them. And like you said, their, their hitting is not, not, is not on par um, with what they were last year. So um, they're fifth in hitting, like I said, only 10 home runs hitting 275. Um, so they're really going to have to find, uh, you know, the, the, the they're going to have to piece it all together with pitching and hitting in order to be successful. Um, like you said, they opened up really strong against Michigan and they had a great opener against uh, Arizona State. Um, I'm, but yeah, uh, it's, it's going to be tough. And, and I think there's, a, there's going to be some growing pains for both Texas and Oklahoma state. And they're going to have to figure it out and figure it out quick. The team not having growing pains right now, Oklahoma, obviously they are. And look, they played UCLA. Other than that, their schedule has been fine. Right. I know there's some Florida state fans who have voiced that they believe Florida state based off of resume thus far and who they played uh, deserve to be the number one ranked team in the country this week. I would argue and push back, be like, uh, look, it, no. <laughs> no, no, sorry, uh, no. <laughs> let me just let me just read one thing uh, before we move on from this. Um, Oklahoma currently has three pitchers, and the ERA of zero. I repeat that they have three pitchers with an ERA of zero that have not given up a run. I think OU has allowed two earned runs like all season so far. They are dominating, dominating teams. They're averaging two and a half home runs a game. They have 25 home runs in 10 games. The next closest is Duke, who has 22. Duke's playing well. Duke's a good team. OU has 25. It is absolutely ridiculous. Honestly, like I, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say 
And I know level of competition. We can repeat this over and over again. I don't care. Like this OU team might be better than last year's and last year's OU team lost two games or three games all season long, regular and postseason. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. Oklahoma deserves to be number one and their pitching is outstanding. Like you said, zero ERA. That was Jordy Ball, Nicole May, and Hope Trotwine. The only ones that have given up an earned run are actually none. Oh, I'm yeah, none. No earned runs. So let me let me let me read you this this crazy stat that I saw the other day. Oklahoma is outscoring opponents 95 to 2 and have not allowed an earned run. The Sooner offense has blasted 25 home runs and the pitching staff has struck out 86 batters. It's just insane. They're hitting 397, 25 home runs, 85 RBIs, 13 doubles, 95 hits. I mean, who, who's going to stop this team? I mean, I know Florida State has a chance. I'm looking at Alabama as well with Montana Fouts. She's amazing. Um, but I don't see anybody slowing down this train anytime soon. They're 10 and 0. Another 10 wins. Eight. Eight of those 10 have been fifth inning run rules. Like, game is over in fifth, five innings. Eight of their 10. And again, UC Santa Barbara's, Houston's, McNeese State. I get it. They played UCLA. It was a 4-1 win. They played Mississippi State. It was a 9-0 win. They are at the Nimeri Nutter Collegiate Classic this weekend out in California. And obviously, the, the competition is going to be much, much better. Arizona's there. Tennessee is there. Utah's there. They're facing all those. Long Beach State and, and, and Cal State Fullerton. Like, I know that's still not a just like, wow, lineup. But you're going to get a better competition this weekend. You're going to face better competition in California than you have so far. Like, I have no reason to believe they're not going to go through, go undefeated, and continue to just put up ridiculous numbers even against increased competition. Like, here's the real question for them. You look at their schedule and you say, okay, where where do you see, I mean, have those teams this weekend, do you see any of these teams actually giving Oklahoma a real challenge this coming weekend? No, I really don't. And it, that first game against Cal State Fullerton is going to be interesting because I do think Dawson Allo will get her 96 home run and break Lauren Chamberlain's record. So that's going to be an interesting game to watch out for. I think we're going to be waiting to see when Dawson uh, Allo breaks that home, rec- home run record. And it's, I would bet it's going to be in that Cal State Fullerton game. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, first at bat or second? Oh my God. Uh, that sounds yeah. so mean. Like <laughs> I don't mean this to be to be uh, insulting to any of the pitchers at Cal State Fullerton. Like maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe it's Long Beach State. She's not coming back to, unless OU sits her until they are back in Norman against. Minnesota on Monday. She's breaking the home run record this weekend. Oh, no like, doubt. It's happening this weekend. It's happening like, for sure. And I, I, I put, I, I said something on Twitter. I basically said like, this isn't, this is so amazing and more people should be paying attention to it. And I had people like question, like why, like what, why does it matter? And I, and I retweeted the video of Lauren Chamberlain rocking the aloe Jersey and cheering her on. And, and I think you guys need to understand something. Aloe is going to break the home run record. And she's not just going to break it and be like, okay, she's going to break it with like 30, 40 something games left to go. Okay. Home run record has been 95. She is, she is currently tied with former OU Sooner, Lauren Chamberlain at 95. By the time she's done this season, she could have up to 120 home runs. That's not a record that's going to get broken anytime soon. 
I think she's coming for that 40 home run mark. Last year in 2021, she had 34. I wouldn't be surprised if she got 40 or more. I mean, she already has seven on the season. Oklahoma State as a team has 10. Baylor as a team only has three. Um, so she's she's definitely coming for that crown, and it's going to come very soon, probably their first game against Cal State Fullerton. And the other thing that, that so impresses me is that Lauren Chamberlain is sitting there wearing the jersey, cheering her on, screaming for her, her biggest fan. And the comp I came up with was, because I had Oklahoma State fans, why what why why should we pay more attention to this? Imagine there was a running back at Oklahoma State who was about to beat Barry Sanders' single season record with like three games to go, and Barry's on the sideline wearing a jersey with the kid's name on it, becoming like vocally, visibly, audibly this kid's biggest fan. That's what's happening right now. Someone yeah, who is the best to do something. Or or if you want a more specific, whoever has the touchdown record, okay? The guy who holds it on the sideline, cheering on the kid who plays for his former team that's about to break it and is cheering him on. Like, that's how big this is. That's how crazy and awesome and amazing this is. And look, they play Cal State Fullerton at 230. It's on flow softball, which I know is annoying because it means not everybody's going to get a chance to see it. You best you're going to be able to see it as a highlight on ESPN. I, I don't love that either. I get it. We've talked about flow. It's going to be on the franchise. It's going to be on the radio. Okay. Like you should be tuned in for something that's about to happen. And I want to know, like, what's your guess into the season, into the season, Melina, right here, you and I pick how many home runs does Aloe end her career with? Oh my God. So she's about, she's at 95 right now. Mm-hmm. Wow. I would say she'll probably get another 35. So I would say probably 130. I'm going to guess 130. It spreads a large number, but I, I she's, she's killing it right now. I mean, she, not only has she already hit seven home runs, she's hitting 500. I'm going to, I'm going to be a little less bold than you. I will say she ends at 125. I do think she crests the 120 mark. Obviously, I do think the competition will get tougher, but I think she crests the 120 mark. Like, understand that, like, the top 10 right now are all between, like, 95 and, like, 86. This It's not going to be close. Like, it's going to be a record that stay, and, and I understand that home runs are, are, are happening more and more and more in softball and collegiate softball, but, like, this is about to be a record that's going to stand for a minute, okay? A long minute. She might have another Oklahoma Sooner breaking her record. Jocelyn Allo is taking up so much of the attention right now. I think a lot of us are forgetting about Tiari Jennings. Man, she is killing it this season, too. She's hitting 440. She's not far behind. She's got five home runs and uh, 12 RBIs. So she's a very impressive. Um, she's just her sophomore year, so she's got a few more years to go to try to catch up. Uh, before we wrap our softball talk, I-, I did want to talk about two other teams, Iowa State and Baylor. Iowa State's 8-1. and one. Um, Their trip to New Mexico got canceled. They went to D.C. and played four teams that they vastly overmatched uh baylor i know they lost the series to oregon at home but they got the win on friday i know that was a big win um i'm gonna i'm gonna I, now i can't think of the name of the pitcher who won that game and i want to say it's it starts with an o and I'm, I'm very sorry i really did like try to remember her last name because she deserved the credit for what she did again that first game against oregon helped get the 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 win I'm curious for you, how good do you honestly think at this point Iowa State and Baylor are? I mean, they've they, 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 they nice starts to the season for both. 
two teams that are challenging to make the postseason. Both have some big opportunities this weekend. Uh, I believe both are are headed to to California, uh, to Palm Springs, for the Mary Nutter. Uh, Baylor's got Oregon State, Loyola Marymount, UCLA, and San Diego. Iowa State's got UCLA, uh, Cal Sun, San Diego, Loyola Marymount, and Washington. Both have some big opportunities this weekend. I'm, I'm curious from you, how, how, what are the ceilings for Iowa State and Baylor? How good are they right now? Yeah, so like you said, I mean, the competition hasn't been very great. Iowa State I think we'll have uh, more answers to that question after this weekend you know they'll face UCLA and they'll also face Washington but they're getting it done I would say is getting it done both in the circle and at the plate I would say the second in the big 12 in pitching with a 2.21 ERA they're second in the big 12 in hitting hitting 348 they got 14 home runs 75 RBIs and they're third in the big 12 in fielding percentage with a 96 percent so everything's coming together for Iowa State like I said we'll get some more answers this weekend um We'll see how they do against UCLA. We'll see how they uh, hang against Washington. As for Baylor, I think they have a little bit more work to do. Um, like they're only, They've only had three home runs in the season. Not very good. They're fourth in pitching with a 3.40 ERA, 28 earned runs. And they had an extremely tough loss to Arlington yesterday, getting run ruled in that game in five innings. They lost to UT Arlington 12-3. Picked up a big win against Oregon, but then, back, then had those back-to-back losses. So I think Baylor still has a little bit uh, more questions to answer. I think Iowa State is on the right track. I think Baylor's struggling a little bit. Again, like you said, they'll be at the Mary Nutter this weekend. Um, they open with Oregon State, but they also do play UCLA. So we'll see how they fare in those mass- matchups this weekend. Yeah. If you got if if ever there was a time to get a Flow Softball subscription, this does feel like the time for Mary Nutter. And if you can get it and then cancel it and not have to pay for more because you don't want any more of it, that's fine. That's great. That's awesome. Um, this weekend is a reason to go ahead and do so. Again, fantastic lineups for Baylor and Iowa State and Oklahoma while they're out there in California. So we have those. Uh, I believe Texas Tech is there as well. Man, Texas Tech not holding back on their scheduling this year. You go to St. Pete Clearwater last week, and now you're going to Marion under this weekend. Like, <laughs> whew, The record may not look good, but they're going to have played some teams. That's for sure. Uh Oklahoma State's going to be down in College Station. They've got a couple of games, some Texas Southern, some Tennessee State, but they got two games against Texas A&M, which is going to be good. Uh, t- Texas is at home. Uh, they're going to have games Thursday against UTSA, Sat- uh, Friday hosting Arizona State. Uh, Saturday, they've got Tulsa and Texas State, uh, and then Arizona State again on Sunday. Uh, Kansas is going to be in Fayetteville. They've got a couple of games against Arkansas, a game against Louisville. Uh, so they've got a nice weekend slate as well. Which games are you keeping your eye on this weekend, Melina? Yeah, I really hope Texas uh, can bounce back. They're facing two really good teams in Arizona State and Texas State. For some reason, they always have a lot of trouble with Texas State. I've barely escaped those games. I'm really excited to watch the Oklahoma State A&M matchup. We'll see if both Texas and Oklahoma State can make some statements and bounce back this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we're going to be on uh, home run record watch with Oklahoma starting Friday uh, at uh, it looks like 2.30 our time, God's time, Central time, against Cal State Fullerton. Uh, ooh, OSU, Texas Southern, 9 a.m. I wonder if it's going to be available anywhere for me to watch. Probably not because we can't get enough softball and baseball on TV, and it makes my heart very, 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 very sad, but we'll see. Uh, Melina, you've been awesome. Always appreciate you joining us. Uh, we're going to keep doing this throughout the season with you. I do enjoy it. Uh, if everybody wants to, uh, Lena, you got to start doing more softball talk on Twitter. 
That's what, that's what we got to do here. We got to get your Twitter account going and you talking softball. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I do need to be a little bit more open. I don't want people to think I'm too nerdy, but maybe I can invite some people in the conversation. We can talk softball like we do here. It's always a great time. It's fun to talk. If anybody wants to, you can go give Melina a follow. It's Melina Sanch, S-A-N-C-H-4. She's on Twitter there. Of course, we're on Twitter at 1012network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. Uh, you can also check us out on Instagram at 1012pod. Uh, I am I get like one week on, one week off on Instagram of trying to post. I do my best, okay? It takes me like an hour to put together one graphic, which doesn't sound like a lot of time, but I have many other things to do except just make Instagram graphics, but I'm trying, I'm trying. Melina, you're awesome. This has been great. Uh, we will talk to you again, hopefully next weekend, and or next week, and have plenty of softball to talk about. Recap this weekend. Look ahead of the week ahead. I'm, I'm excited. Hopefully OSU and Tulsa can bounce back and every Big 12 team has a nice, successful weekend. Uh, like I said, Melissa Trebowasser coming up here in just a second, uh, and we will talk TCU baseball and a little basketball and a little men's tennis who just won the Indoor National Championship uh, coming up next. No clever segues, no funny intros. Do you want to save 30% off at homefieldapparel.com? Then I hope you're listening to this episode on Thursday because today... Thursday is the final day of their friends and family sale. They have a special selection of more than 200 products that are 30% off. Okay. 232 items, 30% off, but it ends at midnight on Thursday night. So you need to go now. They've got stuff for Houston. They've got stuff for Oklahoma state, Texas, and Texas tech. You need to go see what they have left. It is a limited supply. It will not last forever. You need to go now. This stuff is good. They've got some stuff you're absolutely going to want to see. And they've got, again, it's 200-something items. It's not just the Big 12 schools. They've got other Big 12 schools available on the site. But if you want to take 30% off on some fantastic home-field apparel gear, you need to go today on Thursday. If you're listening to this after Thursday, it doesn't apply to you. What does apply to you is our promo code. 1012, T-E-N-1-2, which gets you 15% off your first order. More than 100 schools available, including Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Texas, Texas Tech, Baylor, Iowa State, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, and UCF, just some of the more than 100 schools. Don't forget Big New Saturday Season 3 going on right now. They just released Illinois. Villanova is coming. There's only two weeks left. Make sure you're following Homefield Apparel on Twitter. The brand is absolutely amazing. So, Homefieldapparel.com. Today, Thursday, 30% off a select friends and family collection. Go save that. It's the best deal you're ever going to get on the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel. Don't forget our promo code 1012TEN12 for 15% off your first order after that promotion is done. Follow them on Twitter. You won't regret it. You just need to go buy. You need to go buy. If you haven't yet, I don't know what you're waiting on. Maybe your school, maybe not. I don't know. Homefieldapparel.com. Promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2, 15% off your first order. And be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel today. March Madness is almost here, which means it's time to turn your podcasting ears to Midwest Madness to make sure that you know what's going on with all the Big 12 teams heading into the tournament. I know that you want to know where to put them once they're seated. I know you want to know for sure who they're going to be. And I got you. Don't worry. Just be sure you're listening to Midwest Madness. We'll be getting into bracketology. We're going to be getting into seating. We're going to get into updates on every single game that happens during the tournament, and you're not going to want to miss it. So be sure to listen to Midwest Madness wherever you get your podcasts.
current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone Family. Join me, Jamie Steyer Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure, this is one family reunion you won't want to miss. Each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. College baseball season is underway. Uh, everybody at this point should at least be four games in. At least. I think. You know, weather permitting. We'll see what happens with the weather this weekend. It's going to get ugly in Oklahoma and in the south. I live in Arkansas. I'm literally recording this on Wednesday. And as soon as I'm done, I'm headed home because we're working from home. Yay. Uh, but let's talk some baseball. And let's focus on the conference and one team in particular. And that would be the TCU Horn Frogs. Frog ball, as they call it. And that frog ball cursive logo is freaking awesome. Uh, speaking of freaking mm-hmm. awesome, so is our guest today to talk about TCU baseball. Uh, one half of the Funky Frog podcast, Melissa Trebowasser. Melissa, welcome back. Nobody does a segue better than you, Philip. I have to say that's, that's probably my favorite thing um, that you do well. So thank you for the lovely intro. It's great to be back. Sometimes it comes naturally to me, and uh, sometimes I, I butcher it like uh, like that. Um, <laughs> segways, not creative comps. Uh, TCU baseball, <laughs> brand new head coach, first year. Coach Sarloos taking over the program. Three and one to start the year. Uh, an impressive showing out in Scottsdale at the MLB, was it four? MLB four. MLB four. Like B four, like B-E-F-O-R-E, but also B and the le- number four. It was pretty clever. A little more play there. Waka, waka, waka. If only they were as clever about their streaming options as they were their name, but it's oh, fine. It's don't... a conversation. Okay, let's, um, we're going to, like, the streaming stuff with baseball like I had a chat with Randy Heights on our last baseball on our baseball preview, and like I will come around on Flow Baseball just because even though I don't love Flow Sports stuff, like at least somebody's broadcasting stuff that otherwise wouldn't be broadcast. But we've really got to figure out this whole whenever the new TV contract for the Big Twelve comes up. Like I don't want Big Twelve baseball and softball games that I can't watch. Like I want I, yeah. I get it on the road, but at home, every home. Home every home game should be available for view. I shouldn't, as an OSU fan, be mad because the series versus Gonzaga, which should be really good, is only going to be available on radio or probably like an over-the-plate camera on YouTube with no audio attached to it except Nat Sound, which sounds really terrible. I'll just listen on the radio out loud. Like, can we please just can we please baseball softball? Like, it, can we please? It, to me, it's absolutely ridiculous that, that in this day and age, with everything that we've learned in the last two years, they haven't found a way to show every game. Like you can do, you can do it simply, you can do it well, but not even having a simple option, especially when you look at an MLB sponsored tournament. And by the way, Major League Baseball is not playing games; it's not spring training. Pitchers and catchers have not reported. How can you have a network and a league behind a baseball tournament, a preseason baseball tournament, and not have every game on TV? It, and I understand. Like I was going back and forth on Twitter with the MLB Four Twitter account and. I understand that they were giving other tournaments appreciation and, and love. And that's great that they were showcasing the Andre Dawson classic or whatever else, but you're telling me you can't have two games on an entire network, like with streaming options. It, to me, it's, it's an absolute travesty of college athletics, which is, we know now more than ever is just a giant money grab. So why not grab the money for college baseball and softball? It's there. People want to watch it, especially with no professional counterpart currently, like find a way to put the college baseball games on TV period end of story it remains cheaper to put on terrible opinion shows 
shot in studio with personalities than it does to actually showcase the games. But uh, I think we're getting closer and closer. Obviously, this weekend series, the Nebraska at Globe Life Field will be on Flow Sports TV. Subscribe or don't. I get it. Uh, Look, again, it's uh, it's one of those like it's one more thing I got to subscribe to and I just I can't. Yeah. At a certain point. Remember when we thought cutting the cord was going to be cheaper? Remember when that, like a few years ago? It we was so until everybody realized that they could make more money off of it themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, but this mm-hmm. was always going to be the reality. Like if you want options, that's great. It's, it's like, hey, it's when you order a baked potato, except that you also got to pay extra for cheese and sour cream and bacon bits and chives and whatever yeah. else you want to put in there. Which, what, what do you want? You get your options. You have potatoes cheaper, but you can pick and choose. You just got to deal with it. Okay. Um, TCU baseball, big series against Nebraska this weekend, which should be really fun. Pity I will not have Flow Sports to watch it. Started off really well at MLB 4, uh, 2 and 1, only loss, a one run loss to Cal, who went 3 and 0, which was very surprising. Then, of course, 11 1 win on Tuesday over Stephen F. Austin. Seems like a pretty good start to the to the Coach Sarloose era here at TCU. What, what's your biggest? T- I know it's four games in, and in a baseball season, that's, that's an incredibly small sample size, and baseball is weird. OSU fans getting mad about the San Houston State loss, like folks. It's a Tuesday night loss in an empty giant MLP arena against it. Anyways, four and three and one start. Nice start of the season. What are your overall thoughts just this far in? Well, I mean, I think the first thing that we we've, we've noticed is there's just a completely different energy with Kirk Starlus at the helm. Um, obviously, Jim Slotnagel did incredible things for the program. You don't go to five college World Series and not be appreciative of the guy that was at the top. Um, but just the the much like we see with TCU football, it a a coach who gets it, um, who wants to be not necessarily a player's coach, but wants to create an environment and energy that's a little bit more loose. And I think in baseball, that's super important. Um, the dugout has a different vibe, uh, the way the players re- interact with each other on the field. Um, there's not that that kind of overwhelming fear of, oh, no, what if I screw up that you kind of sensed, especially the last two or three years. Um, I, I think that Sarlus is the right guy at the right time. And we saw that when the reaction to uh, when Schlossnagel stepped away, uh, I mean, you saw literally dozens of former TCU players that, you know, played when Sarlus was there an assistant that said, Kirk's got to be your guy. Like, don't screw this up, TCU, hire Sarlus. And I, we kind of joked that, you know, it was probably 25 to one of players coming out to support Kirk Sarlus versus saying, thanks, Jim Schlossnagel for all that you did, which to me was incredibly telling. Um, so, so that's number one, number two. Um, and I think the biggest issue that TCU has had the last two seasons, um, is they went from being one of the elite, you know, pitching programs in the country to not having three weekend starters. And what we saw is that Austin Krobe is just as good as he was last year. Um, and, and he looked really sharp in his first start. Um, I think that the adding Brett Walker, a transfer from Oregon as a Sunday starter, um, is an absolute just game changer. Um, the dude is solid. He's was spectacular on Sunday, pitches a beautiful game. And then Riley Cornelio, um, who is, is the sophomore, um, who was kind of the surprise third starter, um, really showed why Sarlis gave him that. And then what we saw from Cam Brown on Tuesday night, mind you, against poor competition, um, that dude was electric. I mean, he was, he was 95, 96 consistently, hit 97, and then had a breaking ball that was just absolutely flummoxing batter. So if you're telling me that, the TCU has four really quality starters um, and, and potentially, you know, I think Cam Brown's going to be a superstar. Um, Austin Crowe is the first team, all big 12. Brett Walker um, has a long track record of success. Um, those guys are superstars in my opinion. And I think Riley Cornelio can be that guy. Um, that's a big part of it. And then 
I'd be remiss to not mention Braden Taylor, um, you know, the, the reigning newcomer of the year in the conference kid was super impressive as a true freshman and has gotten off to an absolutely torrid start to the season batting over 600. Um, I think he had five RBI over the weekend, had a great game last night. Um, and him and David Bishop, a, a true freshman who um, won the job at first base and, and, you know, just was mashing last night, hit PC's first home run of the season. Um, there, there's some good bats in the lineup. There's some good patience at the plates on this squad. Um, all of the good things carried over um, offensively, but it looks like guys are a little bit more settled in now that they're not entering their first college baseball season. So I, just a lot of positives to take away. Obviously it's early, um, but I think there's a lot of reasons for people to be excited about PC baseball again. Yeah. I mean, I'm really interested in how they look. This is for the Big 12 this year. It's, it's kind of interesting. Like Texas feels like pretty much consensus national number one team. Uh, they, I know we can talk about quality opponent, but they dominated in their first four games so far. Uh, then you have OSU, who seems like they're going to be pretty good, and you have Texas Tech and TCU, who have been pretty much perennial for the last I don't know, like six, seven years. Like they're going to fight for the Big 12 title, but we get TCU with a new head coach. Texas Tech, I mean, I, I feel like they're a bigger question mark than they have been in the past few years. So it, the, the top of the Big 12 is really interesting. I'm curious to TCU, like, what what do you, what kind of expectations do you set for this program? Do you, do you give him a, I don't want to call it like a year one, but a first year kind of not like pass for this season? Or I know what his, I know Star Luce's responsibility, and I know we expect to stay at the same level and take it up a notch. We get all that. Coach speak aside. But like, realistically, from a fan perspective, what do you think should be expectations for TCU this year? So, you know, I think that that when you're looking at a guy who's being a head coach for the first time, there's always going to be an adjustment period. But Sarlus has also been in Fort Worth for a decade, you know, so he's been around. He's been the league recruiter. He's been responsible for developing the pitching staff, which has been the strength of TCU's program for most of their run. Um, and so in that sense, you think, you know, maybe it's not the giant step up that it would be for most people. It's more of a, you know, he, he's moved over one spot to duck out. Um, but at the same token, um, you got to give him some grace. Um, it, it, the roster is such an interesting mix because you have, you know, guys who feel like they've been in college baseball forever and Tommy Sacco and Gray Rogers um, kind of anchoring the team defensively. And then you have a bunch of freshmen, sophomores. I mean, they're starting two true freshmen and Bishop and um, I'm going to blank on his name right now over in left field. Um, the other really exciting uh, freshmen. Um, and then you've got two sophomores, you know, and Luke Boyers and Elijah Nunez. Um, Brayden Taylor, obviously, is kind of your corner piece. and He's just a sophomore. And then you lose your veteran catcher in the you know first first game of the season um, for six to eight weeks. And so Curtis Burns, a first time starter behind the plate, too. But you have this veteran presence. You've got these young, exciting guys, these highly touted, highly, highly valued recruits. And so um, do you say it's Omaha or bust this year? Probably not. Um, but I think that if TC is not competing for a Big 12 title, you know, into into May, then that would be disappointing. Um, this is one of the lower ranked programs coming into the season, one of the more underdog programs for TCU that we've seen in the last 10 to 15 years. And so um, the expectations nationally are lower than they've been, but I think in Fort Worth, we see that the pieces are there to make a nice run. Um, you know, hosting, hosting a regional has almost become an expectation for this program and maybe that's unfair, but at the same time, um, unless, you know, if, if we, if what we saw this weekend from the rotation is what we're going to consistently get, then there's not any reason whatsoever that the frogs can't be in the mix, you know, in the regular season, big 12 title, you know, be right there to win the big 12 tournament again um, and potentially host a regional. I, I don't think that's an unfair expectation, but I don't think it's the expectation, so to speak. Now I feel like big 12 is good enough every year. You should, 
I know we've had years where you only had two hosts, but like the Big 12 should have three hosts a year. Like I think this conference mm-hmm. is strong enough that three of the teams, unless you just have the bottom fall out, should be regional hosts uh, out, out of the top 16, right? And yeah. I think there's years yeah. where you've pressed for four. Um, I think that can get tough if you can get one right there at that 15, 16 national seed spot. But I mean, I think three is pretty obvious. And between Texas, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and TCU... I know West Virginia's had a nice start. Oklahoma's looked pretty good. Like I do think the Big Twelve is strong enough that 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 is that should be a realistic expectation this year is three mm-hmm. Big Twelve teams hosting regionals, potentially four. And and so if you're TCU, you look at the conference and say this this feels like it could be an up year for the Big Twelve. That should that should help us in that endeavor, assuming that we perform well in conference play once we get to that point. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, it's it's going to be a meat grinder. Um, you know, you, you don't get a lot of weekends off in this conference. Um, you know, we saw it last year with you know, TC had a chance to lock up the regular season title. Kansas State, not necessarily a program known for, you know, being exceptional and, and totally fumbled the bag. So um, I think that's going to be the difference this year is that in those tough spots, um, you know, how do these guys bounce back? Um, everything changed last season when um, they dropped that that Friday night with that huge crowd against Texas. Um, they came back and won on Saturday, but that Texas series, um, I, I think, changed everything for that that club, and they lost their confidence. And that's when you started hearing the Schlossnagel leaving rumors, and and that team was a shell of itself by the time that May and June rolled around. Um, they somehow rebounded and won the Big Twelve tournament, and got hot at the right time, but um, the the mojo was gone. And so the the thing that Sarlis has brought, and I think in baseball more than any other sport, it's it's those intangibles. It's that it's that momentum. It's the feeling around the clubhouse, and he's built a real positive vibe. I think around. Uh, the program it's so much more open so much more accessible he's so willing to highlight um, individual players like they're they're doing some things that are kind of like what you want to see in a college baseball program so um like i said I, I have a lot of confidence this can be a really good team you know maybe that two seed heading into the, the big 12 tournament um that, that's kind of that's kind of the the realm but we'll see i mean you know we've seen Texas and other sports come in with super high expectations and completely fall on their face. And so you never put that past them, even in a sport like baseball where they've, they've historically, you know, achieved at a really high level. Looking at the schedule for the, for TCU this year, Nebraska and globe live field this weekend, Nebraska, a team that some people are very high on as far as the big, 12, uh, big 10, a road game at or a road series at Kentucky. I know they weren't picked super high, but it's still an SEC program. It's quality army, three games against army. And, and this is one of the things I love about college baseball and a conversation I was having with my buddy, Joel, like people see teams. You're like, well, you should beat them. They're so-and-so like they're like, you see programs you do not recognize or even know who mm-hmm. they are. And army people, obviously people know who army is, but, or think of, you think of them through the football lens because that's what most people pay attention to. Mm-hmm. But then through a baseball lens, like army is the, is the favorite to win the Patriot League. Like, this is a good program. I think TCU has built a really good non-conference schedule. They've got a road series mm-hmm. at Florida State. Um, like, you got some games against Dallas Baptist, which is usually pretty good. Like, looking at this, looking at the Big 12 slate, I I, I don't necessarily want a prediction of record because baseball is way too fluky and weird. But, I mean, what, what do you think, if we're sitting here at the end of the regular season, the end of the Big 12 tournament, like, where, where do you think STCU is? I mean, I think it's a little bit tough. Um, you know, I think those non-conference series will, will not necessarily tell us a lot about the team, but tell us a lot about their potential for success in the postseason. Um, you know, you worry about having to, I think my internet connection is totally potentially dropping off again. Did it die? Is it still there? Okay, we got it back. Um, we get we get Texas Tech at home, which is huge, but you have to go to Oklahoma State. And so, I mean, I, I think that those are kind of the difference makers. You also have to go to 
Texas. And so I think because of having two of those three series, um, you know, it, it's, I, I'm assuming Texas is going to win the conference. Um, you know, they just, they look like they're in position to do so. They get, um, they get TCU at home. Um, I don't know if they get Oklahoma state or Texas tech at home either, but, um, they, but that's Texas part gets of it. OSU at home. Okay. So that, that to me probably means, you know, that, that, that battle for second or third is going to come down to who does a better job between OSU and, and, uh, TCU in Austin, or if Texas tech can, can, you know, pull out a series win in Lubbock, like that, that to me is going to kind of determine who finishes second and third. Um, so I would be, I would be really ecstatic if the frogs are second in the big 12, I think they were picked to finish fourth. Uh, or fifth potentially so um, that would be great I think third would be very reasonable go out and win a couple games um, at the big 12 tournament it's going to be at Globe Life this year so um, that's an advantage for TCU fans who traveled so well to Oklahoma City um, I think will be packing the stands um, at, at Globe Life which will be a ton of fun so um, third place I'll, I'll go with I think they finished third I think that they I don't I don't know if it'll be Tech or Oklahoma State but I, I think that they'll get a series win from from one of those two and that will be the difference for them uh, vaulting into third I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit of other TCU with you uh TCU men's tennis squad claiming an indoor national championship uh awesome knocking off some some powers on the way there I mean, I, we don't talk a lot of tennis I try and bring tennis on as much as I can to this show I mean I don't forgive my lack of research before I brought this topic up, other than knowing that they won this indoor national championship. Is this a program that's on the rise for TCU and something that that Horn Frog fans should be getting excited about, or is this a just a really nice season for them? Uh, yeah, no, I think you know David Didi, what he's done TCU men's tennis is probably one of the most underappreciated aspects of TCU athletics. Um, this guy's been they've been in the postseason. Um, they've had individuals competing for national titles regularly. They've been um, you know, in the, in the final four and the elite eight consistently, they've won big 12 titles. Um, I think they've won four in a row or something. So this is their first national championship. They've been knocking on the door consistently for the last, you know, five, six years. Um, and so to see him break through this year is a huge deal. He sent guys to the pros, you know, he's got Cameron Norrie, who is steadily rising up the international ranks um, and has, has had an amazing season. So um, he's built something really, really special. And I think the fan support for TC tennis in person is amazing, but the national acknowledgement of that program is, is still pretty minimal because it's college men's tennis. Um, I think that that the way that they went about the indoor season this year uh, should get people really excited for the outdoor season too, which I think starts tonight. Um, and, and it is a program that, that is capable of repeating, you know, of, of sweeping both the indoor and the outdoor titles this year. I mean, they've knocked off historically great programs. They had just one loss um, going into the indoor season. They, you know, dispatched Texas in dominant fashion um, on their way to to the national championship as well, the Ohio State, which is, you know, one of the elite blue blood programs in, in the country for men's tennis. So um, David Didi is an incredible coach. He's a guy that when Chris Del Conte went to Texas, um, that, that Del Conte was trying really hard to get from, from what I've heard. Um, he's, he's a guy that's had opportunities to go other places, but he's really committed to the purple courts and built an amazing international program in Fort Worth has built great fan support. Um, and has been one of the, um, more successful and engaging coaches on that campus that people still just don't talk about enough. All right. Men's basketball real quick. Uh, we talked about this on, on Monday show, TCU with a gauntlet to end the regular season, six games in 13 days. Uh, at the moment, their net ranking is 52, uh, and Bracket Matrix has them in 127 of 132 Bracketology projections, averaging around somewhere between a 9 or a 10 seed. 
Uh, got the must-need win over West Virginia at home on Monday. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, they will have played their game at Texas. That's on Wednesday night. They still have home games against Texas and Kansas and road games against Kansas and West Virginia left on this thing. They're, they seem like they're pretty comfortably in the tournament right now, but we've got five games to go plus a Big 12 tournament. If you're picking right now or if you're guessing, does TCU make the dance this year or do they end on a on a with a tough end of the schedule? Do they end on a sour note and uh, and miss it close? It's such a hard call to make because I think that TCU could very easily go zero and five and nobody would be surprised. You know, over this last stretch, and um, they've got to win one of these games. Um, and and I think if they win one and they can win an opener in the Big Twelve tournament, then they're super comfortable. If they can win two, they're a lock. So you're you're at Texas Wednesday night when Texas came to Fort Worth. They built up a huge crowd and had all these things and got absolutely just humiliated and blown out. Um, you're not going to have Eddie Lampkin, it looks like, for that Wednesday night game, although he's expected to return this weekend. Um, he's a huge part of what they're doing offensively and on the glass, so that could impact it. But if you can go to uh, West Virginia and win, or you and, and that's kind of the one that you look at and say is the most winnable game, or maybe you steal one at home from either Kansas or Texas Tech, um, it's a possibility, but you're going to need a healthy, aggressive Mike Miles. And you're going to need Emmanuel Miller to do more of what he did against West Virginia. And that third guy, either Chuck O'Banner or Michael Peavy has got to, um, has got to step up offensively. So I'm going to say, yes, they're going to make it to the dance because I would be absolutely, um, just completely devastated if they did not, um, with how well the season started out and how look, how great it looked like it was going to be until Matthew Mayer, fouled Mike Miles in, early in the second half of the Baylor game in, back in January and, and messed up his wrist and he hasn't been the same since. So like up until that moment, um, I was so excited about the season and it looks like now they're going to have to scrape and claw their way into March Madness. I think they're going to get there. I think they've done enough and I think they're going to find one more win at least over this last five game stretch um, and and then go and, and get one win in Kansas City, hopefully just to, to lock it in. So I'm going to say yes with hesitation. If they get one and they can find a way to win their first tournament game, which at this point would be against Texas, based off the way the bracket's going to be without Oklahoma State in it, I feel okay. If they can win two of these last five, I feel pretty good. Because, again, there is is nothing left on the schedule but quad one games. Um, Even with – unless West Virginia has completely – Fallen off, and I need to let's go check live here on the show. That they were close. I mean, but they were talking, you know, two weeks ago, they're talking about Iowa State is the last place team in the Big 12 getting in. So, I mean, anything's possible. West Virginia's, when you're in the- well, West Virginia is 74th. As long as they stay in the top 75, that a road game at West Virginia remains a quad one game. So, that's what we're going to have to hope for for TCU because I do think that that road game at West Virginia at the end of that stretch is going to be incredibly tough. They're going to be out of gas, they're going to be juiced. We'll see what happens. Uh, Melissa, you have been awesome as always. I said it at the top incredible. I wasn't wrong. You're great. Uh, do me a favor where can everybody go and check your workout covering the TCU Horn Frogs? Uh, you can find me at the coach Melissa on Twitter and frogsaward.com for my written work and just kind of floating around the uh, the interwebs, you know, with hot takes and bad opinions. You can find the link to the Funky Frog Pod at 1012network.com. Uh, it's available everywhere. Podcasts are available. Her and Colin do a great job covering TCU for us. Melissa, it's always a pleasure and can't wait to get, get you back on again soon. I appreciate it, Philip.
Social Podcast Network.